Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple of months, you've heard all about the game timeout. How you can save you some serious cash on last minute tickets to sports, concerts, all types of shows. I like it. I like to get it. Listen, there's nothing more satisfying than getting a great deal and going and enjoying a concert or a game. And you go there and you know you you're sitting there and you're watching it, you're enjoying it and you're saying, "You know what? I didn't have to sell my firstborn child or any sort of uh uh, limb or remortgage a house to witness this. I can watch this and just enjoy it and know that I got a great deal. And that is what you can do on the Game Time app. They're going to hook you up for the holidays too. $10 credit. Here's what to do. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or the App Store. Click on the My Tickets section of the app. Create an account. And then under the billing section, redeem code the athletic. No space. The Athletic. One word. Again, that's The Athletic for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money. Credit only available to the first 1,000 people who redeem the code. And it expires at the end of the year. So if you're sitting there at New Year's Eve and you're still looking for tickets, you better hurry. That's December 31st, 2019. So make your moves quick. Score last-minute tickets on the Game Time app. Once again, to a uh, another episode of PFL Pod for Life, I am your host David Ubbin. My co-host, professional writer Joe Rexroad. Uh, Joe, <laughs> uh, interesting Titans weekend. Uh, this is technically a Tennessee football podcast, but uh, Mike Vrabel, not uh, not a huge fan of, of the media on Sunday. Yeah, I have a feeling that. Uh professional writer is going to be tagged to me now quite a bit uh, well anybody who didn't between, yeah between that and and uh, my former colleague paul kaharski i would say that if you have to pick between idiot and professional writer i'm taking professional writer every time <laughs> yeah that's that's true yeah like i like i told you like ah, I, i'm hey how many people call me that i appreciate that <laughs> Someone actually put a sign, uh, my friend Buck Rising uh, put a sign uh, on my laptop at Mike Vrabel's press conference Monday that said professional. <laughs> so now I could I could switch my name to P.W. Rexroad, which for anyone who likes <laughs> 80s movies will remember, you know, Pee Wee Herman, when they made the movie about Pee Wee Herman, he was P.W. Herman. That, that's, that's going deep into the uh, 80s archive, but yeah. For anyone who doesn't know the story, I don't even think it's worth telling the story but basically Vrabel got ticked off and they lost and things happen it it uh it does happen I thought it was interesting you know you don't see uh Pruitt's kind of a little bit more um I don't know docile I think it's different for college coaches a little bit because yes your, your image is so much more important but uh an interesting an interesting um situation anyway well, well Joe, that real yeah, quick, David. I, I yeah, that's a good. That's a really interesting point. And we're talking about that a little bit um, on uh, on Nashville radio. You know, it, like college coaches can't really like lash out like pro coaches do sometimes because of the recruiting consideration, right? Like the like you said, the image, the whole like you, like you just have to be more careful in some ways because you're always recruiting. You're always thinking about recruiting. Which is yeah. a fitting thing to talk about this week, but uh, and the, you know, in the pros, it's like man, you know, the pros, everybody makes money, and you know, if I'm mad at you, I'll say so. It's kind of you know, definitely a different territory with college. 
Yeah, the only time you see that is sort of guys that have a ton of capital built up. And even then, it's extremely, uh, extremely rare. Uh, like so you got Gundy, we'll, he'll pop up. Yeah, off. Gundy. Gundy is Gundy. <laughs> listen, I'm I'm not going to turn this this podcast into a Mike Gundy defense session, but Gundy, <laughs> ever since he hired Dana Holgerson in 2010, even though he might have been somewhat uh, uh, hamstrung into doing so, he's mellowed a lot. Uh, the the leech tree rubbed off on him, and uh, anyway, different shade of orange. But uh, Gundy is uh, he's more docile now. He's got the mullet flow. Majestic. But, uh, yes. So recruiting, big week. Um, big picture. You know, we, we cover recruiting a little bit differently at The Athletic. Um, I, I, we, we, we aren't going to be sort of hunting down, you know, where guys are going to go. We, 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 we try to keep our hands on top of things. But in general, Joe, what is your attitude toward uh, recruiting and the world in which recruiting inhabits? <laughs> well... You know, recruiting is is one of those things, and, and having you know been on a college beat for a lot of years, it's the lifeblood. It's incredibly important. Um, it's also something that can get very repetitive, and and you know the the day to day, the incremental you know recruiting stuff can get really um, obviously you know monotonous, and and there's not a lot there. I also I'm someone who covered a program that regularly way overachieved relative to recruiting rankings, which gives me one appreciation for one thing. That was Michigan State for a lot of years. It's really not the case anymore. But for a lot of years, you know, they were finding two stars like Le'Veon Bell and Kirk Cousins and Connor Cook. But, you know, that was a that was a great staff in terms of evaluation and, of course, development. But I think evaluation – um, is a huge thing, and to tie it to Tennessee, I really have thought, and this is based mostly on Jeremy Pruitt's reputation, but also some of what we've seen so far, I really think that's where he can and I think does separate himself from the previous staff at Tennessee. So if you're someone who just you know is following Tennessee you know from afar and you just you know just look at the class rankings year after year, you might sit there and say, gosh, you know, Jeremy Pruitt's not, not doing as well as Butch Jones, but I'm willing to bet that the classes he is getting now, now that he's able, this is a second full one really, will probably be more productive and yield more than those highly ranked Jones classes because player evaluation is critical in this. And, and I do think some coaches get caught up in the ranking stuff and like to be showered with praise on signing day and that's not what it's about there's my yeah. little diatribe david no i think it's i think it's fair i mean you know you talk about michigan state i think for a long time tennessee has been the opposite of that i don't particularly like the um the horse race coverage i mean you know uh joe did you know that uh on my campus visit i, I really love the family atmosphere and i just i gotta go home i got some yeah. things to think about yeah <laughs> And, uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I got to tell you, I really enjoyed my visit. And, uh, you know, it was uh, – just love the coaching staff, really impressed with what they're doing. Just felt at so home. You know, I just felt yeah, at home. you know, exactly. Yeah. It's that kind of stuff, like, okay. Now, that said, I think there's a lot of interesting stories in the recruiting world. It's unfortunate, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I asked this question – 
again, I, I don't have a, a passion uh, for the recruiting game, but I asked this question, and I don't know that I ever got a good answer of sort of, why can't coaches comment publicly on recruits? I, I don't know I have exactly. I have an answer. You do? What is it? Yes. Um, I'm quite sure it goes back to Bobby Knight at Indiana, who in 19, let's see, it would probably be about 1985, maybe 87, right in there. There was an eighth grader by the name of Damon Bailey. Gosh, I think it's Damon Bailey. My, you know, this is where the I'm I'm googling this now because I don't want to mess this up. <laughs> but it, but essentially, Bobby Knight said, you know, Damon Bailey can could start for my team right now um, as an eighth grader. And of course, that was part, probably more than anything. It was Bobby Knight, you know, like ripping his own team, you know. Um, but it was also like you know that that got a lot of attention from other coaches. Like, are you serious? Like this guy's out here, you know. Yeah, it was Damon Bailey. Yes. You know, this guy's out here, you know, using the media to recruit this guy. And that was, I believe, one of the uh, moments that created the rule of not being allowed to be. It's like, it's like tampering the pros, you know? I mean, it's basically like using media to recruit for yourself. So, I mean, and, and I'm not, I don't disagree with you that, like, honestly, who cares, especially now? But, but that's, I believe, was a big moment, if not the moment, in creating that rule. That's interesting. I, I think, you know... Indiana Hoosiers. We're to... tying it all together, David. Exactly, exactly. Uh, one big circle. I, I say, <laughs> I should say, considering this program and considering the man in charge of this program, we should be careful what we wish for because I, I feel like Pruitt, all he'd want to talk about is recruiting. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. but I, I would like to see it just sort of be a lot more open. Uh, I, would, I would appreciate that. I... I uh, the whole thing just feels very silly um, and, and sort of, I don't know, just unnecessarily, you know, I, I, I get that it's, you know, you could say it's tampering on the one hand, but like they're still having contact, obviously, with these guys consistently. Everybody is. And, and uh, you know, I think it'd be interesting. I, I think, you know, and, and especially when you talk about, you know, when you're talking about committable offers, non-committable offers, there's, a, there's so many sort of shady things that go on. It's tough because the coaches can't really be asked about a lot of it. All they can say publicly is we are or we are not recruiting this guy. And that was even a recent rule change, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think the recruiting world is really interesting. I think the world of trying to figure out where guys go is intensely uninteresting to me on a macro level. On a micro level, the individual stories can be kind of interesting. And then you sort of get into the whole world of bag men and all that stuff and um, which of course, um, you know, no one, no one, in, 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 no, no one's paying anyone, right, Joe? No one's. Yeah, whatever. One's whatever do you mean here, David? What are you <laughs> exactly. speaking about? Exactly. I don't know what you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Uh, but I, I, you know, so it is an interesting world. But the thing that gets written about the most, I actually think, is the least interesting thing. But I understand the market for it. I mean, that's all people want to know: who are we yeah. getting? Who are we getting? Who are we getting? Um, but I think for us, the athletic, you know, we try to tell the somewhat more interesting stories. And I think, you know, sort of honestly, like when the dust settles, there's so much uh, intrigue to pick up that, um, you know, I, I do enjoy those kinds of stories. So that's where we're at, cards on the table with recruiting. Um, you know, it, I went to Memphis last week. Um, you can see that story up on the athletic for our uh, college football recruiting blitz. 
Um, it was interesting. Um, you know, I wrote about Tennessee uh, on Monday. I wrote about Tennessee has really done well inside the state, and they have done that because they've recruited Memphis so well. Um, and I, you know, Joe, I, I was obviously, obviously somewhat new to Tennessee, newer than you. I'll talk a little bit more about that trip. But one thing, as I was researching, I did not realize, Joe, Tennessee had three Memphis guys on the roster. They've signed five since Pruitt got there. Pruitt signed all of them. Um, they have three guys, Jerome Carvin, Eric Gray. Uh, the other escapes me. Um, I'm sure it's someone huge I'm forgetting. But then, of course, they signed Melvin McBride and uh, Jeremy Banks. Uh, Jeremy Banks dismissed from the team. Uh, if I was a betting man, I'd bet you're going to see him in orange again before too long. And then Melvin McBride um, had a, a health condition that they discovered um, last year, and he wasn't able to play, but he was uh, a reasonably uh, highly touted recruit. Anyway, Joe, does that strike you as odd um, that that's the situation where Tennessee uh, – if you were asking me I – was, I was talking to uh, one of our editors about this. If you were just asking me, person who or anyone on the street i guess that sort of knows college football but hasn't been paying super close attention to tennessee and you ask them how many guys on tennessee's roster are from memphis i would have said 15 or 20 probably and instead they have one i mean sorry they have three they've signed five in this class they're about to have eight what like when you when you think about it besides the fact that they just weren't there what do you make of that? I find it really weird. Yeah, a little. And we talked about this some um, before the Tennessee-Memphis basketball game Saturday at Thompson Bowling. But, uh, yeah, it, it's a little bit surprising. Um, but, again, you know, it's – I mean, you're talking about six hours. You know, you're talking about a six-hour drive. So, I know that, you know, some – of course, you're like, you know, some national people are like, well, Memphis is you know, basically part of Mississippi, you know. Um, but it's not. And the thing is, Memphis does have a huge, uh, falls fan base there. Uh, you know, your story. Yeah. You know, your story, you quoted, you know, Briarcrest, uh, coach Brian Stewart, you know, and, and, uh, at the top of that story about how, you know, you, you get Tennessee going and, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of people down there who care about that. So yeah, it's a little surprising. Um, and, and I don't, I, I just, I don't know. You know, every coach has – I mean, every coaching staff – you can't have a coaching staff that with with everyone having, like, connections everywhere, you know? I mean, you just – sometimes you kind of go with your – like, this guy's really strong in South Florida or this guy, you know, has great connections in Ohio. So let's hit that, you know? I mean, so some of it is that, and I can't really speak to all the nuts and bolts with the last staff, but certainly I think Memphis is worth recruiting. And, you know, obviously Omari Thomas is a big get here most recently. And, and as you wrote, I mean, they're, they're doing a lot more work there. And it seems worthwhile to me, just as Nashville is much more worthwhile than it was probably, you know, 10 years ago, certainly 20 years ago. Um, and, you know, Tennessee is never going to yield, and you wrote this too, you know, enough prospects to just – you know, to, to, to feed your program the way Florida obviously will, and Georgia will too for Georgia. You know, you, you can't just, you know, uh, survive on Tennessee recruits. But it's really important to get the top ones and as many of the top ones as you can. So if it does turn out where they're around 10 of 20 in state, 
You know, that I think that would be a positive sign. Yeah, and, and Memphis, I mean, you're not doing that if you don't do well in Memphis. That, that's the thing where I, where I get it. And I know, you know, I wrote about this in the story, so apologies for those of you who are athletic subscribers. But basically, you know, there's some unique challenges there. Alabama is closer. Ole Miss, especially now that Lane Kiffin is there, they're closer. They're going to be a factor. But your brand has, has at, at any point in the last 30 years, your brand has probably never been weaker than it is, you know, in this last five-year period. But that does not – you don't feel that in state. There's still a lot of kids in Memphis, like you said, who are Tennessee fans who grew up wanting to play, ten- play at Tennessee. And it just seems crazy to me that you would not leverage that um, and, and try to make the most of those guys. And every situation's different. I know there's no hard and fast rule. Um, but, again, you know, I'm, I'm sort of just – you know, I'm not – obviously I'm, I'm aware of what's happening at Tennessee, but my others have a stronger sense of history. But I was, I was floored at seeing the raw numbers of, of Memphis players that it just seemed like the previous staff, you know, had not, not recruited. And it, uh, you know, you say Memphis is worthwhile. I'm, you know, it, you look at the numbers and, and I think the previous staff might've disagreed with you, Joe. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. Or just, yeah. Or just for whatever reason. Yeah. just did not have any kind of foothold there. And, and look, there's a, so much work. Uh, a lot of this is, you know, there are pre-existing relationships that are so big in recruiting, I and mean, they really are. You know, every coach there leans on pre-existing relationships to some extent, but it's also a ton of work to get into a place and really, you know, build those relationships. I mean, and it really is that. You know, it's it's not, it's just not a thing you can shortcut. So, I do think that when, you know, like recruiting in college football, obviously. There are some teams that just, I mean, right now you look at like Alabama and Clemson, and you're like, you know, how do you, you know, how do you beat them in recruiting? You know, there, there's, uh, you know, these top upper crust programs. It's like they just go out and select who they want. But there's such a big separation among a lot of the other programs that is really just footwork and how much you want to put into it. You know. And it, and it really does pay off. doesn't always pay off. Sometimes you can put in so much into one recruit and then you lose a recruit. And it's it's like, you know, uh, it can be disheartening. I've talked to college coaches about this a lot. But but ultimately, it's you know, if you put in that, that legwork, it will pay off. And it, it does feel to me like Pruitt is acutely aware of this as the bottom line here to, to you know, building a program. I mean, you... You've just got to get players that can match up with these top teams in the SEC. Yeah, and I think it, you know, for him especially, you know, you talk about those big bodies and how they've recruited last year. It was offensive line this year, you know, we'll see on on the Jay Hardy situation, but it's been the defensive line has been where they've tried to get that uh, get that work going. And, and Omari Thomas, a huge piece. And I think, too, as part of the recruiting industrial complex, I, I – I develop a distaste for the hyping of players, um, which happens a lot. And in some ways, mm-hmm. it's hard. So, like, you know, we're not writing a ton about these guys, but a little bit. But I try to write more about who they are and less about who they can be because what happens is – and I, tr- I truly do feel bad for the kids who get stuck in this situation because they don't know that it's coming. But anybody who's paid attention to college football can see it a mile away. It's the five stars, the high four stars. Oh, this kid's amazing. Oh, this kid's amazing. He's going to come in and have all this impact and be a, and just be the greatest player. 
And then, you know, some guys aren't ready to make that transition, or some guys are a little bit slower developing. Some guys don't show up at all. And what happens is, is that that hype turns to hate, like, really fast. It's like, fans, this kid's yeah. a bum. He's a bust. You know, and, and uh, you, you see, you hear it with, like, um, I was getting questions all last year. J.J. Peterson, the highest-rated guy in Tennessee's class last year. Well, he's focusing on academics. He, he got to campus really late in August. Um, he was kind of out of shape. And, and, you know, obviously he's just trying to get his feet underneath him last year. And I'm getting questions in the mailbag all year. Uh, is this guy a bust? We got a punt on this guy. I'm like, guys, he's been on campus like a year. Like, it's okay. He has three more. Like, you just uh, – and, and that kind of thing. And I don't think – I don't think J.J. Peterson is a good example of where guys get really uh, – it turns to hate. But Garantano, you know, we've talked a lot about the, the fan base's distaste for him. There's a lot of things that go into that. But if you think the recruiting aspect is not part of it, well, I, I can get to you. You hear it all the time. Oh, this kid's a dual threat. Why can't he run? What's, what is, why is he not running more? And it, that's that's part of the recruiting stuff that really I feel bad for the kids because if somebody's writing about oh this kid's so awesome you're a, you're a seventeen year old kid you're you're not gonna stand in the way of that you're not gonna like oh you know and, and then when things don't work out sometimes it, it doesn't go well um, but anyway yes. off of my no I agree box. I mean apologies <laughs> no no Thomas I'm with stuff. you yeah, go ahead go ahead yeah no I was just I, I agree with that, and the thing is, like, it's so exciting. I think sometimes for these kids in high school to have the, you know, they notice their, they know their rankings. They 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 go to the web, the recruiting websites. They know, and they they get into that stuff. But then it all of a sudden it, it becomes a you know, it can be a bad thing once you get to college because this game is not, it's not you know basketball where we can see what you are as a player when you're 16, and you're playing against the best players in these AAU tournaments and like you know you. You are ready to come in and make a difference right away if you are a top top recruit in basketball. You know, in football it's just totally different. And you know, honestly, I think in football you've got your five star guys, and a lot of them pan out and at least, you know, to a reasonable extent, make a difference. But as soon as you get into even you know high four star range, it's so much of it is yet to be determined, and so much based on just how much work is put in from arrival on campus, you know, it's just, so like the fours and the threes, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it really is about what they're going to do after they get there. And so it, it can be, uh, you know, to be a really highly rated guy can be, can be um, a bit of a curse, but yes. Yeah, so I agree with you, David. It Good soapbox can. moment. Now that said, Omari Thomas, uh, I, I really think he can be a good player. I, I uh, you just don't see a lot of guys that are six five, three hundred, and sort of move like he does. And and I think you know you get a you get a decent sense of of who kids are when you when I take these trips and sort of get a chance to to sit down with them. And I didn't get as much time with Omari as like you know like last year when I went and did the same sort of story on on Wanya Morris and and to a lesser extent. Henry Toto going over to his home. But like Wanye, I was just like at his, uh, him and his mom and his sister's apartment for like a few hours, just like hanging out with them. And you get a real sense of who this guy is. Um, and so, you know, Mari seems like a really bright kid, a really grounded kid, and um, uh, just no question marks about him. You know, I think that's, that's, he's a guy that it was pretty obvious. He was very, very high on Tennessee's defensive board. 
Um, and they, and they made him know that. And, and it didn't seem, you know, it, he was sort of still unsure there at the end. It looked like it was going to be between him and, and Auburn was on the list, but if you talk to him, it sounds like it was a lot more A&M than it was, uh, Auburn and Tennessee, but I think Tennessee was always in pretty good position for him. And, uh, I, I think he's got a really high potential and you look at the opportunity on the defensive line, you know, he's, he told me, you know, they, they've said all along, don't plan to come here and sit cause that's not what we need right now. And, and I think for Tennessee's sake, I think you're going to probably see him play, uh, pretty quick, probably a rotation guy, but I, you know, you, you saw some of the guys they recruited the defensive line, the Juco guys are always sort of a question mark. You don't really know what you're going to get the Savion Williams and Darrell Middleton's last year. You're never quite sure. Um, Elijah Simmons, you know, they wanted him to lose some weight, and, and he was, you know, basically uh, sparingly, basically in the goal line package. But he's another guy that's an interesting prospect moving forward. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's reason to be excited. I don't think people should, uh, you know, expect him to come in and, and win SEC Defensive Lineman of the Year or, or have, you know, 15 sacks in year one. But he's going to be a good player, and I think – you know, more than the actual skills, I think, to get a sense of, like, you know, the kid's head on his shoulders. I, I think t- Tennessee's staff has done a pretty good job of recruiting um, those type of guys in this last couple of class. I mean, you look at just this roster. You talk to guys like the Eric Grace, the Tootos, the, Dar- the Darnell Wrights, the, you know, the, the guys that had an impact. These kids don't sound 18. You know, they're, they're pretty mature kids. They come from winning programs and when winning tradition, and I think there's something to be said for that. And I think Omari is, is another one uh, in that group, and that's one of the reasons why we why we wrote about him. Yeah, well, and there's a lot to be said for that. And, you know, for anyone who anyone who's been around, like, one of Nick Saban's, you know, recent Alabama teams, um, like, you will be – and I've covered, I guess, a couple. Yeah, I've covered a couple of bowl games involving Alabama in the last, well, I guess, decade, a little bit less than a decade. And, like, they're so impressive. You know, the kids are so impressive. You know, they're mature and, you know, and great to talk to. And, and it's part of it, too. I mean, it's it's not just collecting talent. I mean, you're trying to put together, you know, a locker room and, and – and build great team chemistry and have – you know, things that older players pass down to younger players. And I know that gets strained with, um, you know, people, people of course, more um, transferring. And, you know, uh, people are looking for the best possible situation for themselves, which they have everything to do because coaches do that all the time. But Nick Saban does not just collect talent. He builds great teams. Um, and, and based on that a lot. Uh, and I think he's selective. And he can be. I mean, it's it's easy to say that when you're Alabama. You can be selective like that. But, it does feel like Jeremy Pruitt, again, he understands. He has seen those teams get built, and I feel like he gets, you know, all, uh, you know, all that goes into trying to find good players. Yeah, I think it's um, it, it's it's going to be an interesting balance to see. And, and we talk about this. I do some TV on Sundays on, on the Sports Source in, uh, in Knoxville. I'd encourage you guys to check it out. Uh, but they, they pose an interesting question. Um, which I think is uh, very relevant. Pruitt, their whole staff, sort of their rep was, this is going to be a recruiting staff. Pump talent, talent, talent. Get guys, get guys. Uh, development as well, but but certainly a bunch of recruiters. You know, Pruitt, that's where he made a lot of his bones. Uh, obviously, Brian Niedermeyer, National Recruiter of the Year last year. But you look at the results, and they've still been pretty similar to what 
um, Butch Jones produced and, and even below it in, in some spots. Now, I agree with you on the development piece, um, but would you say this group has in some ways underwhelmed, at least relative to expectations in terms of recruiting? I think the results early this year put themselves, put the staff and this program behind the sticks a little bit. I think they, they lost out on some big guys they had a chance to get, like the, the Rakeem Jarrett's. Granted, Rakeem Jarrett's probably not the best example because the LSU explosion, I mean, how could he not want to go there? But like... You know the the Savelle Small, some of those, some of the big guys that they missed out on, um, and I, you know, the again Hardy is probably a decent example of that. But uh, but what have you made of, of how this class, how the staff has recruited on the whole? You know, what two and a half years into this thing? See, this is where again, like I I've got to lean on what I've seen, and and I know that the Midwest and the SEC are not the same. But I'm going to give you five programs that I covered to some extent, okay, over a pretty long period of time, all of which in different ways, you know, basically defied their recruiting profiles. That would be Michigan, Michigan State, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, and Iowa, okay? Uh, Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan State being teams that if, if you're just going by the recruiting rankings, they don't come close to what they did on the field. Notre Dame and Michigan being, if you just go by the recruiting rankings, they should have won a lot more games than they won over these periods of time. And again, a lot of it, bad coaches, you know, Michigan and Notre Dame both had bad coaches at different times, things like that, and and good, solid foundations at those at those other programs over a period of time. But I just can't, I can't, to me, it's, yeah, development, but I mean, to me, evaluation is more. It, it's, it really is. So, like, I just, I'm, I, I don't, think much of what I've seen based on recruiting rankings. I want to see him on the field. And I've, I thought that this freshman class, the guys who played, you know, you mentioned Toto. I mean, he's just a terrific grab. Now he was a highly, you know, that's a guy everybody wanted, but I, I think that it's the evaluation and it's having a lot of guys in every class who stick around and develop and get better and become good players. I think you can, be a really good team now can you compete at the highest level in this league with that it's a fair question maybe not and so at some point if if they get to the point where they are winning nine ten regularly i think that certainly that's on the table can they get to the next step well then you've got to take another step in recruiting but i don't think they should be expected to just right now snap their fingers and be there and i agree with you i think that the start to this season i mean that's you know, with the recruiting calendar sped up too. I mean, it's. Uh, I think a season, early season results can really impact decisions. Yeah, I think you know, in in my experience too. I mean, I think you know, you'd be around Missouri, you'd be around TCU is a good example. Oklahoma State's a good example. There's a lot of programs Baylor. that can Baylor as well. They can outpace their recruiting rankings, and Michigan State and Michigan can as well, but. And when you touched on this, they all have one thing in common, even as they outpace, is that they, they're under the thumb of the Ohio States and the Oklahomas of the world. Oklahoma, five consecutive Big 12 championships. Ohio State, uh, I don't know what the streak is there, but I, they've done pretty well in the Big Ten, I'm told. Uh, so that's, that's the question. Is you know I think Tennessee can do better on the field than seventh in the SEC. Um, but I and that's that's does it, does it come slowly? Do you do you start winning eight, nine, ten games and then you flip it 
Um, and you start building and you start having top 10 classes. That's that's the thing is I think at some point, because Tennessee views themselves as, well, we, they want to be the Ohio State, the Oklahoma. They want to be the, the team. Maybe not perennially running the SEC, um, but at some point, um, you know, barring uh, immortality, Nick Saban is going to be gone from Alabama, and there's going <laughs> to be a power vacuum in the SEC, and somebody has to step into that void. Um, you know, obviously, George is probably the clubhouse leader there, but not only do you step into the void on the field, you step into the void in, in the recruiting game as well. And so can Tennessee get to that point? I mean, they're going to have to be a, a perennial top five recruiting program if they want to be what Tennessee believes that they are. Um, and so that's that's sort of the big question. And I think when you have something more to sell that they have not had, where you have you know basically a five and seven season last year to sell, even though you're – you know, you're saying, well, we're, we're selling the future. Well, you're not going to get every guy like that. You're not going to get the, the Rakeem Jarrett's of the world. I'm selling that. You're going to get the Rakeem Jarrett's of the world by having a Heisman-winning quarterback and a and a Bolitnikoff winning receiver. That's that's how you get the Rakeem Jarrett's of the world. Tennessee doesn't have that right now. Um, and so that's, that's, that's the big question with this staff. I, I think, again, I, I've said this and written this. If you – at this point, believe that they can't do that or they definitely can do that. I think you're taking a leap of faith on and off the field. But that's going to be the challenge for them, you know, as we sort of talk about, you know, what the staff can do recruiting. I think they've been slightly underwhelming, but I think, too, you have to have something to sell on the field. And, and this was going to be a, a chance for them to sort of make a move, and, and they kind of undercut themselves with that, with the Georgia State and the and the um, the BYU losses early in the season. They they. They did, you know, Omari Thomas, you know, he did say that the second half of the season, it wasn't like a game changer for him, but he was impressed with, you know, he said, you know, this, this staff, they had adversity, and we, you saw how they kind of reacted to it. He's like, and I liked that. Um, and so, uh, this staff's got a lot to prove. I mean, there's a long way to go. Uh, some good things this year in recruiting. I think still there's a lot of moving parts. You still have two months after the uh, early signing period. It should just be called the signing period, and the other one should be the late signing period. But you still have a couple months to, to try and, uh, and make some moves. Tennessee in the mix for some guys. Um, but um, it's, it's, uh, the recruiting is a lot like on the field at this point for Tennessee. They've got, they've got a long ways to go. That's, that's kind yeah, of I mean, you, you can't – I just don't see how you're – yeah, you, you know, you're not jumping into that territory right now. You know, you have to – you've got you've to gotta journey your way there, you know. So get get an eighth win. Go go out next year, win eight again. Uh, you know, have another good class. And then you hope that you've got a built-up collection of guys who have been together and you can really – maybe gather up and really make a run at something. Cause I do think that, I mean, you've, you've, we've talked about this. You talked about this in your, in your recruiting story this week. I mean, you know, te- when Tennessee was that these guys were either not born or they were, you know, in, I mean, th- this is you know, the guys who were being recruited absolutely weren't born. So, I mean, you, you just, you have to, you have to demonstrate it and you have to build your, I just don't see, I know, like Ole Miss will roll in all of a sudden, get the number one class out of nowhere. But well, we saw how that all ended up, too, right? I mean, <laughs> do not slander these young men and their families, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just—I mean, you just gotta—you you, know—it's not gonna—it's not gonna happen overnight. I mean, gosh, it's—I mean, I'm trying to think of all the cliches I could say right now, but 
Um, we, maybe we can talk about culture. It's got to be the culture, <laughs> David. You got to change the culture. You know, I think but, I think you, you hit know, on a good point there. Is that you know you can't expect top. You know, you can't expect a ten win season immediately, and it's possible that people maybe you can't expect a a top ten class immediately as well. Tennessee got close last year. I think they were thirteenth. They're right inside the top twenty this year. There's a lot again. There's uh, a lot of guys that they're still in the hunt for. They may still flip Jay Hardy. We'll see about that. Uh, you've got uh, you know Lenith Whitehead hanging around. You got uh, Morvin Joseph. It's like I think they're probably going to win that battle uh, over Florida. So it's um, you know it's it's I think that's probably fair to say though, that if you can't expect a ten win season in year one or year two, perhaps a top five recruiting class. Um, should be held to the same expectation, but we'll see. Uh, again, it's this has been an interesting run for Pruitt, and uh, a lot of stories left left to right, to say the least. Definitely. Well, Joe, anything food wise we need to know before we before we get out of here? Hmm. Gosh, I'm kind of coming up with a blank. I have really been. Uh really been slacking here i can't i haven't really cooked i haven't cooked anything good uh i'll give a shout out to my neighbor cindy applegate who brought over banana bread which was just amazing she makes it every year for like people in the neighborhood and uh just uh an east tennessee uh native that she is uh just amazing banana bread you heat it up a little bit with the butter man i don't know if i don't know if you like banana bread but uh man i don't love some nuts in it i mean it's it's yeah 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 yeah, that's that's what I've got. That's that's the thing that sticks in my mind is, is I could actually eat the whole loaf, and uh, I I would too. I really would, but I, I saved <laughs> a little bit for everybody else. Well, I got a couple. Um, so you know, obviously, I, I uh, took a quick little little trip over to Memphis last week. Um, obviously, Central Barbecue. We don't need to really talk about that. It has. Uh, it has expanded into Nashville. I'm sure folks have had it, but uh, I am not really a ribs guy. Strong ribs at Central. Central. It was, uh, you know, as good as as good as ever. Now I will say, I am a donut guy. Joe, have you been to Gibson's in Memphis? The sort of famous. Oh, uh, Teresa Walker, John the Calipari, associate. Yeah. Yeah, no, Teresa Walker, the Associated Press, who goes all the time uh, to Memphis, talks them up all the time. No. It's it's on the list. I, I I'm excited. <laughs> I've heard all about every kind of donut they have there, but I haven't I haven't actually done it. Worthwhile. I was skeptical. I was okay. I was skeptical because as a donut guy, I've had a lot of bad donuts in my life, uh, and I'm a little bit of uh, not unlike pancakes <laughs> and waffles. I'm a bit of a traditionalist. Just what do you got? The glaze. What do you got? Bring show me show me nothing fancy. You know I don't need bacon bits on there. Just what do you got? And let me tell you. That was like a nine and a half out of ten donut. That was uh, mm. very, very strong. It's there's nothing, you know, the texture. You know, I, I like the Krispy Kremes here, the duck donuts here. Those are very different textures. This is sort of in the middle. It's standard yeast donut. I don't know what to tell you except it's just very simply done. Uh, nothing fancy about it, but uh, I greatly enjoyed it. Uh, and also, I've tweeted about this uh, briefly. Do you eat popcorn, Indiana? The the white cheddar popcorn. Yes, amazing. Has it disappeared from every store within like everywhere in Nashville? I can find it in some gas stations, but 
But I cannot buy the normal size bag for like $4 in any of the Kroger's, the Food Cities, the Walmarts. It has completely been taken off the shelves. They have the weird like drizzly corn, like the chocolate kind. That's It's fine. But like the white cheddar is where it's at. And I cannot <laughs> find it anywhere but like $25 for like a eight ounce bag in a gas station. I saw you tweet about this, and it's a bit of a panic. I, I've got to, <laughs> I, I've got to investigate. I have not looked lately, but uh, I look yeah, every that's single time to be I go on to all store. shelves. I, I don't know who we can talk to. Listen, if some presidential candidate runs on the platform of getting <laughs> white cheddar popcorn, Indiana popcorn, probably Buttigieg, the Indiana, the Indiana connection. <laughs> if somebody will run on that platform of I will get. White cheddar, popcorn, Indiana popcorn. Yeah, they like it. Every store, I will vote for that. Vote for that candidate. One issue voter. Popcorn, Indiana. White cheddar. H. White cheddar popcorn. Uh, Well, that will do it for this week's episode of PFL. I'll join you. Recruiting heavy. Recruiting heavy, Joe. We got through a recruiting episode. Uh, Yeah. I feel proud. That That was good recruiting talk. That might be the most productive recruiting conversation we may ever have on this podcast. But uh, that will do it for this week's episode. If you like the show, rate, review, subscribe. I apologize for threatening violence on the one person who gave us a three-star review so far. But hit us with the five stars. Review us if you like the show. Uh, Thanks, guys. It makes the show uh, even more successful. That will do it for myself. Again, professional writer Joe Rexroad joining me. We will see you guys again <laughs> next week.